Welcome to a pint with Shoney B coming to you from a very cool artist's atelier, if you want to call it that, under a railway bridge in Loughborough near Brixton in London. It's got bullet holes in the glass and uh, they're probably not bullet holes, but they look like bullet holes. Probably are. They probably are. <laughs> There's lots of car breaking yards and garages outside a boxing club just down the road. And I'm in a bona fide artist studio, a guy who's probably Britain's most renowned kinetic artist. We find out what that is. He's a sculpture, a collage maker. There'll be trains buzzing by right over our heads, so it's all fucking authentic, right? Welcoming to the podcast, a guy called Giles Walker. How are you, man? I'm good, thank you. Tell me what a kinetic artist is. Well, fundamentally, it's, it's a sculptor who makes his sculptures move. So downstairs is his, is his works, workshop, which has got, like, just paint a picture for you. It's got, like, you know, mannequins that you would normally see in clothes stores that he's put motors into you go online and look up uh, Giles Walker's website, you'll see The Last Supper. Talk, talk, talk to me about The Last Supper. Beautiful. Yeah. Sort of scary, dystopian kind of thing. The Last Supper is sort of my version of The Last Supper. And it's, it has got um, 13 robots sitting around a table, sort of in conversation. And then on the table, there are these other sm- much smaller figures, about 12 inches tall, up to no good on the table. A picture of how I saw religion in the 21st century. A kind of commentary on whether religion is a good education for, for young minds. We all know the answer to that, well, surely. Well, some, we don't all. That's no, the not in Ireland. <laughs> no, a lot of us let's do. Talk, a let's lot go, of us down, do. go down that rabbit yeah. hole, because what I liked about it is you have this thing about, like, imagine, I, I presume this is what you're saying, imagine how today's church ends up doing the Jesus thing. Is that in the future? It was, no, it wasn't really, the, it, was, it was kind of more like, um, it was actually in the present, but it was like these you have these sort of relics. The figures around the table were kind of like relics from the past of upholding this kind of like unreasonable belief that, you know, religion is a good education. And and the sort of the little figures on the table were more like um modern day humans, the results of that philosophy that they've imposed on us. And it's all pretty bleak. The sort of Judas figure in the piece he was the accused he stands there like he's a child figure and it's like accused that he's done something wrong anyway me and my wife had adopted a child or would go through the process of adopting a child mm-hmm. around that time one of the things that they struggled with on our sort of adoption application was that um that we said we, we didn't follow any religion and then I was thinking so they think that's unreasonable but then if I said I followed this religion where they believe in this this Hearing God all seeing all hearing yeah. God who make you sort of rot and burn in hell if you misbehave with that eternal damnation to would any, that be better questions my <laughs> everlasting love and then and then it's just got and then i got into the thoughts of sort of like you know if i had said this is what my ideas on punishment are and to bring up a child and i didn't put it in a religious context they probably would have said no way no, you know no way, yeah. so that's sort of got all that sort of i mean at, at its core it's lying to kids and i agree with you in, in a in a world where we have big fucking issues like the planet possibly dying and someone needing to go and fix it and people getting inculcated at a very young age into what is complete, clearly complete nonsense. Yeah. Revelation. There's, no, there's no evidence. That ever. Absolute madness is yeah. what it is. Yeah. But it sticks because the same time as building last my mum was dying as well and she um wasn't a believer she, she was dying of a really horrible disease and uh, even she was saying what have I done to deserve this 
and I'm yeah. just like why have we done nothing you know what I mean it's just yeah, that's the way it goes but you get this ingrained sense that um, there's karma from, and all this sort of shit that comes from religion so all that was thrown into this piece anyway and it turned out to be really dark and moody and even now when I see it I'm slightly shocked at where my head must have really? been really? yeah yeah. I, can't, I feel quite detached from it in some ways because you can tell it comes from quite a sort of dark dark place and maybe that was sort of grief coming out did your mother die well uh, yeah well, I think um, I just started it and then she died and then sort of carried on my, and so sort of, I sort of buried myself in it as well a bit so it's kind of I think a lot of darkness came out but then having said that I'm building this show for this this uh, September I could tell <laughs> I'm going into the same darker, place <laughs> I'm going into what the same place what happens to it is it like so you make you install it somewhere, right? Yeah. And then you take it out, so you can. You can is, is it all like boxed away? And you can the last it? stuff, are, yeah, all packs down into like sort of seven big Boxes. crates. You know, it's gone to America and it's travelled around a bit. Yeah, it has to be able to travel. I kind of like I make I try and make sure that everything I build can be put away just for storage reasons, and also I don't want to keep having to fix it every time I drag it out of the cupboard. You know, so and I try and do you sell this? Like, could someone buy it? You could buy it, yeah. No one would. Which is worth? Could... Which was? Uh, I think else? we were selling the last supper at one time for like 150 grand or something like that. Yeah. You know, I think. There's only like, one of it. Yeah, it's a hard thing to buy because obviously it's, it's got a maintenance sort of problem <laughs> stick with the so just let give me your, a bit about where you were born and what um, so i was born um what your early life was i like. was born somewhere in kent farringdon i think it's called all um but my dad was in the navy so we just we oh. traveled around every uh you know wherever he got posted so did you yeah so i haven't really got roots in that sense From, you know lived in scotland lived in west country lived in in merry quarters oh, what was your first memory as a kid where was that scotland or uh i'm not sure Sure. Did you have a happy childhood? Uh, yeah, yeah, to a degree. Yeah. And were you artistic in school? I wasn't allowed to do art at school. Why? Because uh, when it came to A levels, everyone agreed that I shouldn't do art. I should do something. So I did economics instead. <laughs> Who did your parents? Uh, parents and teachers all had a good gym. Oh, uh, did you like art though when you were a boy? Uh, it was all right. I didn't. To be honest, I was. I, I got into theatre when I went to um, college. I did um, theatre. So I started writing, and that's funny enough. It all comes around, and now I sort of um, like these installation bits I do. The writing is all is a major part of it. So yeah. I've kind of managed to still keep that within my work, which is oh, interesting. You're in performance. Yeah, and in some ways, what I do is these these kinetic installations is a kind of mechanical theatre anyway. I yeah. kind of build the characters, give them their roles, and I sort of write the piece. But what's interesting with sculpture is dialogue can kill it immediately. You know, you can kind of um. If you give too much away with dialogue, people get it straight away. It becomes repetitive. It becomes really annoying. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be really careful to sort of like give enough. Keep you have to, you have to sort of use the dialogue like a sort of soundscape, yeah, yeah. sort of different textures and stuff like that, and uh, not really give much away. And that, the Last Supper is something funny enough. I've seen loads and loads of times, and it still doesn't annoy me the soundtrack, which is the hardest thing to do is to yeah. sort of like make something give enough. You have to just use it like a sort of painting, the words. You want to get something out of it each time you listen. And yeah, see it. yeah. And I think with this with this monster show in September, I'm sort of trying to do the same sort of thing where you kind of, it's got to be part of the sculpture. It's not like um, this sculpture talks and this is what it says. It's got to be all part of the same experience. So explain the monster project that you're working on. Well, the Last Supper was kind of, because it's all set around a table, so it's quite practical. It's quite easy to build because all the wiring can be hidden and all that. 
and you walk around the table, depending where you are around that table, it depends on what bits of conversation you picked up on. But it's pretty contained, and Monster's going to be much more spread out, so you're walking in and amongst it. These moving figures that are kind of talking to you and talking to each other. And some of the figures are going to be like um, about four and a half metres tall, so there's some big ones, and then there's some human size, and then there's some even smaller ones. So it's all different, yeah, it's three different sort of levels of scale. Totally immersive, so you do walk in and around it. Without giving too much away, the sort of concept behind it is kind of um, of humanity being as, as a sort of refugee train, I think all them now. We've, we find ourselves confronted with purposelessness. We've been through the stage where we all thought we were workers, then we all thought we were consumers, and now we're neither, and it's kind of... Um, Nihilistic. We're kind of feeding a sense of purposelessness and meaninglessness. I and I think... So this, what I'm trying to portray in, in the whole piece is, is this sense of loss and how we feel lost. The more that words get reinterpreted and misinterpreted and manipulated by the powers that be, then they become meaningless. And so you haven't even got words to sort of rely on and trust anymore. So that's where the sort of dialogue's coming from. Uh, Can I explore, so I go back to your comment about religion. Like, I'm an atheist and I, I do a lot of study now just on philosophy and also I like to study people like Bart Ehrman who talks about the Gospels and right. have fucking completely out of whack they are, which is funny. But this idea of purposelessness and nihilism, what, what's the point? What's the point of doing anything? Yeah. When you take religion out of society, I think that also breeds that in a way because yeah, one sure. of the things religion does give you is this structure bullshit of an afterlife and that you'll yeah. see your dead granny again and you know it's totally that and it's like I've got the big figures in this piece are kind of the four and a half years. they're the sort of um, these man-made forces right that have gone rogue that we've created religion financial institutions mm. science to a degree we've, we've created these forces and they're not following our commands anymore yeah. and now they're now they're controlling us a combination of that them going going out of the control of, of the people who used to control them and um the fact that we now have more collective information through the internet stuff means that our foundations of our sort of human identity yeah. have been eroded yeah. one of them is a religion we suddenly everyone's kind of clocking on that it's a load of bullshit get to repress us you know but it did give us purpose and also people um I've realised that, you know, the fact that they're not workers anymore, which is another form of repression, but gave us purpose. Mm -hmm. And consumerism gave us purpose. And, yeah. and all those things are being eroded. Politicians who used to think were kind of trusted leaders, you realise are, are also bullshitting you. So, yeah, we, we haven't this, this buzzword post-truth that everyone talks about, which implies that there was a, a lovely um, history of truth, which is actually complete right. bullshit as yeah. well. Yeah. So the people who use the word post-truth tend to be the people who have exploited us in, and they're trying to make out that, yeah, we're in this era of post-truth now, but we've been telling the truth, which is bullshit as well. Yeah. So post-modernism? It's yeah. Well, it comes. From, I think it comes from post-modernism. Right. Yeah, the post-truth is pretty thing. much been shown to be bullshit as well. Yeah, post-truth tends to sort of um, imply that you know you can now say what you want because you can say because you can back it up by saying that's my point of view. That's kind of uh, oh, okay. so it is like post-modernism. Okay. I think where it comes from is is people like Trump and Putin who they want to own truth. They will lie and say I wasn't there, even though someone's got a video oh. of them there. But that's because they they want to be able to say. I wasn't there, and that's, I'm so powerful. You have to fucking believe me, you know. And we're that's doing, it. We're so it's just a we're recording this uh, podcast just as the time was 
I'm hoping the noose is starting to tighten around Trump. Manafort's just been put away for seven years. And it was really interesting when Manafort was, he was, he was put away in two different courthouses for financial crimes. And his lawyer came out every time and said, this just shows there's been no collusion with Russia. <laughs> you weren't even, you wasn't even on trial for that. Nah. I mean, that's a good example, yeah, right? Where yeah. you just keep banging the same yeah. bullshit drum and everyone kind yeah. of listens. That, you know, and that's the, another sort of trick of post-truth. They just tell the same lie over and over yeah. again. Even though people are disproving it. They just yeah. keep saying, yeah. keep saying, and then it becomes fact. It's like the anti-Semitism thing against Jeremy Corbyn. It's yeah. like absolutely based on fucking nothing. And yet they keep on banging it. The media establishment keep on repeating it, keep on repeating yeah. it. And it's and now it's... You throw enough shit at the wall. Yeah, and, stick, and right? that's been this government's fucking trick all along, isn't it? Uh, Brexit, etc. Ah, oh, it's not. Huh? Thoughts on Brexit? Let's not go there. Let's no. not go there. Angry? No. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm angry, but I'm, I'm not surprised either. I was reading this great book, John Higgs. He's written a book called Watling Street. He's written loads of books. Really good one on KLF, by the way. Right. Brilliant. Okay. And he's a, he's. I'll put links to this. On he, he's very he's very clever man, and he um. He's very good at connecting sort of politics, art and science all together. And, yeah. and, and he was saying about divisions, you know, like, are you Remain, are you Stay, are you Gay, are you Straight? Yeah. And he just gave this whole list of, are you North, are you South, are you Driver and Non-Driver, are you Blue Collar? Yeah, well, and he just did all these d- dividing lines. And then actually what you realise is a bit of bigger picture. There's no divisions because everyone's fucking divided from someone else in a different exactly. way. And, and it's like, a, I think that Brexit's been caused by politicians whipping unhappy people because they've fucked them over into into something really sort of um, unsensible. And, there is a danger with all, the, divisive. With, all, with all the sort of identity politics or whatever and, and I'm this and you're that and I'm, yeah. you know, it, it's quite dangerous, I think. Because, totally dangerous. Because, well, you look at, say, I'm, I, you know, say the, the gay movement or the black movement in America particularly, you go, that's really important. Right, that there's no yeah. racism and that we don't we're not fucking homophobic but then it starts morphing into this you know I, I need a special there was a, a thing in, in in America where there was some guy in, a, in an office who identified as a furry or a right. fluffy or something right <laughs> and he was pissed off that there wasn't a, a cat litter in the men's toilets right <laughs> yeah and he and he's going to HR about this yeah and it's like yeah. please at what point do you yeah do you say enough is enough it's funny, there's another thing I've even wrote in that book was actually, um, he's talking about royal family and how they they were German, weren't they, from Bavaria, yeah. and how they suddenly decided they wanted to be English. Windsor. And, and called Windsor. And it's suddenly like, it was, he's, he associated it with um, transgenders, you know, so he going, I want to be called a man now. It's like, it's like a royal family suddenly going, I want to be called English now. Yeah. And, it's, and it happened, and we all towed the line politely. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for transgender, but there's, a, there's a new thing out now, if you're a male who doesn't fancy a transgender female who happens to maybe have a cock, you're considered to be transphobic. <laughs> Come on, lads. Yeah, no, lady, was, sorry. People always push it, isn't it? How, how does something like Monster come about? Do you have the idea? Does someone say, do you want to put a thing on? But it's expensive. Where, do you, where does the funding come from? We're doing a crowdfunder at the moment, yeah. Okay, yeah, oh, do oh, there's, <laughs> a, there's a link at the blurb of this podcast. Go on to yeah. it and give him some money. Cause it's, yeah, uh, I've really. seen the sort of setup. You have to put a fucking motor in. That is the trouble. And, you know, each motor costs about 50 quid. And you think yeah. how many motors are. And that's, anyway, yeah, it's a really expensive business. That's why I can't really do it that often. Mm. But, um, yeah, we're doing a crowdfunder for this one. And uh, we won't get all the money, but we'll get enough to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Trouble is, you've got to store it afterwards and all that sort of stuff. I wish I was a painter. <laughs> <laughs> so and so, where is it going to be on? 
Uh, it's going to be on in a uh, old warehouse in Deptford. Ten days it's going to be open for, yeah. Okay. And then try and find somewhere else for it probably later. Yeah, it's going to be great. Paul from, uh, do you know Orbital? The band Orbital? Right, yeah. yeah, he's going to do the music for it. That would be in August? Uh, September, September the 12th, that is. That's September it. the 12th, yeah. okay. And so go back to your timeline. You're in school. You're not. You. you wh- wh- how did the art side of you develop? Then you weren't allowed to do it in school. I kind of left college. I was concentrating on writing scripts, screenplays. Yeah, and then the summer I got my degree. The uh, I was living on the Isle of Dogs, and the meat I waste squatted the yard right next to my house, and I needed some electricity to fix their generator. So we ran a cable from my house, and uh, so I got to know them, and they were going to Berlin. This was 1989. Okay, so explain the Mutoid Waste Company is a, a collective of it was about performance so. artists. Would that be fair? No, sculptors. Sculptors. Yeah, okay. it was definitely sculptors and, and uh, old cars and metal yeah, work scrap and artists. Scrap artists, right? And, um, and they were kicked. Were they kicked out of England? Or they, yeah. They were, yeah. Well, what happened? Well, what happened was um, so the, the idea of Mutoid Waste was we used to build sculptures out of scrap. Mm. We've got a warehouse, build sculptures out of scrap, have a big party make some money and then do it again and then again and what happened when the acid house scene came along it became harder and harder to squat warehouses because people were squatting them just for the weekend and having a party and going and in the end the police just pretty much wouldn't let us squat anywhere else, which, and that's where we lived we all lived in vehicles which you drove into the warehouses and stuff and in 89 I just finished college and they were driving to the Berlin Wall to um, build a ramming machine to drive through it and uh, I really wanted to do it so I went with them do you officially join the Mutoid Waste Company or just hang around with them or how does it... You kind of hang around with them right. and then because uh, it was so tight there it was like uh, there was only 15 of us and you knew you'd join when you were on the, on the food list you know because basically everyone ate communally so when I first arrived in Berlin a little bit after them I was eating in the soup kitchen nearby and they were eating this communal food much better and then one day you know Maggie said um, do you want to eat with us and I was like oh, you, know, you know it meant you were in then you got your careful. t-shirt and everything. Yeah. But then once you're in, it's like, uh, that's it. You can't earn any money separately, really. Everything you earn goes in the pot. Yeah, the pot that yeah. buys food and welding rods and diesel. Got one meal a day and a packet of tobacco, something like that. And that's what it I'm was. trying to work out how you go from kind of, I'm not going to say it's normal, but it's such a different way of living. How you go from college and, like, did you, did you have a rebellious alternative streak in you all through your life yeah no it, it wasn't it wasn't that d- divisive it wasn't that big a jump I, I kind of already uh, I had a caravan in a traveller's site in Winchester and I was going down there every weekend and I was parked up with these people called Wango Riley's Travelling Circus and they they were the guys who supplied um, stages to all the free festivals whenever there's a free festival they turned up so I was, sort of, I was parked up with them and sort of helping them put up stages so I was all part of that new age traveller scene anyway. Carney, 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 Carney. yeah what did your family think of this sort of lifestyle you told me? Uh, they're interested, you know, they, they're interested like in it. Like your dad was, who went from place to place with the yeah. Navy, right? Also, he's an engineer, so he, he was interested in the sort of it, mechanical side of things as well. Mm. And, and sort of, you know, he likes that side of what I do. Yeah. So it wasn't a big jump. But what was mad was that once we got to Berlin to build this ramming machine, they'd stop the shoot to kill policy. So that's why we were doing it, because we knew we wouldn't get shot. But um, <laughs> did you ever go to Berlin when the war yeah, was happening? No, not when the war. I mean, I've been it was a re- intense Checkpoint Charlie, and then you know, you do, you, even today you can go into East Berlin and go, yeah. "What the fuck just happened?" Well, it was really intense then because you you could just look over the wall and you could see yeah. these houses of people in a completely different world. And uh, we were building this ramming machine in the bushes, and, and there's a sort of um, lookout tower on the other side. 
and they gradually sort of clocked on that something was happening. We were building it on this old uh, disused railway yeah. that, where there were doors still in the in the wall. And one day the doors opened and all these soldiers came out, you know, and told us to start antagonising the East and stuff like that. And anyway, in the end, it got too heavy. We're getting more hassle from West German police as well. So we stopped the ramming idea and, and we just built, um, turned the ram machine into this big sculpture that we pushed right up to the wall and it was sort of leaning over. And then we, so you don't really came down? No, but then we left, went back to Holland. And then two weeks later it came down. <laughs> No, yeah. three weeks later, yeah. Rounded yeah. them. Yeah, oh. it could have. But then probably would have been, been one of the most iconic images. It, it could have been amazing, or it could have delayed it, or whatever. You know, it could have. And what did the, what? Are, so you had, you had you had East German soldiers giving you shit or looking at you, and they, no, they came out. They they came onto the west. There's a good somewhere on YouTube. There's a good clip of them opening the doors and coming out. Yeah, and all that's matters is we could have done it, and maybe it would have brought it down. And then it would have been like what these fifteen punks from England brought down the Berlin Wall. But it's Did you probably, feel it was a bit of a failure then? Uh, just a bit gutted, but actually thinking back, it's probably better that the people did it themselves. Than well, <laughs> some, no, you could have been just crust, Some crusties, but it would have been great for us, you know. I paid a picture of the lifestyle then, it's almost like a commune, right? Yeah, definitely. It was definitely com- commune, and it was, um, we lived, breathed, spoke, scrap. Getting in the scrap, building stuff out of the scrap, yeah. making it pay for itself somehow. And you take everything back to the scrapyard and you move on to the next place. So it's always uh, being on the move, so you needed diesel. And the only way you got to move to buy diesel was by... Uh, you, either, you know, you have a party, an exhibition, um, you get a commission to build a big sculpture or something like that. And it was weird is that some places you went... So, for instance, after Berlin, we went to a place called Voiconse in Holland, where we, the local community had chucked in enough money so we could build this big fist on the sand dune to protest against the industrial waste they pumped into the sea so that was a you know there we were invited treated nicely then we went to Paris where we we were just squatting an old railway warehouse got non-stop hassle from the railway police but we had a big party there but then we went down to Barcelona Barcelona we'd been invited to do art exhibitions so we get treated nicely there it was different in those days. There were a lot of crews all just travelling around, yeah. you know, and, and Europe was a kind of freer place than, than Britain. You know, you could get get away with murder. I mean, I think, you How know... How did we, you handle conflict? Any, or who decides where to go and why? And what's uh, some just, fucking, let's not do that. Yeah, you, is, you know, votes. You have votes. Yeah, okay. and everyone had a say. Was it was it a lot of drugs? They, we had no money. You know, yeah. quite interestingly, it, the drugs... You know, we only had what people gave us. We literally had enough, just enough money yeah. to get a really basic meal together and some fags. You know, or if we were doing a party, we'd get free drinks at the bar or a gig or whatever. It just, we just didn't have any money. You yeah. had no cash, you know. Yeah. Every now and again, you get bought a pair of underpants from, you know, Maggie. Got a size is too small. And that was your kind of like, oh yeah, thanks for that. It so was, you were relying on the kindness of strangers a bit as well, right? Uh, yeah. Well, relying on like, our reputation. Like, I'm sure you weren't liked. Like we, like these fuckers are here. Was it? Was there? Was there uh, a lot of antagonism towards you? Mainly, no. We were mainly treated, you know, by the sort of the the young. We were treated really well. You know, obviously because you're a group, a kind of gang. People feel um, threatened by you, and especially other local crews used to feel threatened. But the only kind of aggression I can, I mean, you know, and there's always a couple of. Mad loners who sort of take it on themselves. I mean, in Berlin, someone kicked off, and uh, I remember we put his took his clothes. You no, know, he taken his clothes off, and we just put him on the back of the truck and drove him into the middle of the town. Just put him in the middle of the square and then drove back. 
But I remember, and then in Paris, there were there was this local crew of rockabillies who decided they didn't like us. But on the whole, you know, you're 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 pretty tight. You yeah, know, it, it was quite. So how long are you like? Are you still involved with it? Yeah, yeah. You definitely. don't leave, or you can't. Are you? Or you don't leave. No, you don't leave. No. And but so I mean, since, but then well, we all travelled around like this quite intensely, and then we ended up getting given this land in Italy. So a lot of people are still there. But once we stopped moving. The sort of dynamics, dynamics changed, and the sort of energy changed a bit, and that's what I sort of a lot of people just peeled off. How many people are in it? When we were in Berlin, there was fifteen. But I think by the time we got to Italy, there's twenty-two, and now there's probably eight. I mean, people always talk about, oh yeah, do you know him from the Mitos? And I, I've never heard of them before, so it's, it's yes, it's grown into something I don't know. And how often do you go, like do you, do you meet still and then say we're going to do this this year? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this year I'm going to be working with Joe for Glastonbury with a couple of old timers. Did you ever go? What the fuck am I doing? I need like I need to fucking settle down or anything like that. Was, was it, you always? I this... loved every single minute of it, yeah, and you I know, even that, yeah. and even now it was um, it was over 20, thirty years ago, and it's still as rose tinted in my eyes. Yeah. Kind of like my best mate is 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 one of the mutos, you know, who thirty years later, you know, I still hang out with all the time, and we still talk about it like it was yeah. yesterday from the original 15 they're the ones I see because they're the ones I sort of know best and also I think that time was probably the most intense time because we all lived together we were in each other's you know literally yeah. in each other's pockets it's like a, and as it's a very little conflict yeah we always argued all the time but we were all also totally dependent on each other we knew and everyone knew that was there a formal the mission the, was to mutate and survive, you know, to mutate live off. Mutate and survive. To live off scrap. You know, it, you, it, like when you talk about your work, like even Last Supper, what you're, the one you're working on now, there's a sort of a, there's a kind of a. I mean, what, there wasn't Mad Max an influencer of, of the music. No, we we were. The music started before Mad Max, but it had come out by the time I joined. There were some people in the crew who they used to just dress a bit like Mad Max or something. But actually, Joe, who started it, and his philosophy, his version of me toy waste which is the one i've sort of appealed to me but it has humor in it yeah we're going to look really hard we're going to behave really hard but actually we're going to smile every now and again and just show that we're yeah. taking the piss out of ourselves and you and that's always joe's been the thing you know he'll be all that, that you know and then he had a little smile come on his face and you realize that actually it's funny that's, and that's why you know there were some of the me toys who had all the kind of furs like mad max and some of us just going around with wellies on our heads, you know, because it was yeah, funny and yeah. wearing kind of old, you know, inner tubes as trousers and stuff like that. It's where do you where do you sit on Banksy? Was he? He was well, around he's been gone a bit later. Twenty years now, right? I remember he, he came down to visit the yard and stuff, but I wasn't there then because I know some people got their trucks painted by him, you know, when he was an un- unknown, and they sort of tried selling them for you know hundreds of thousands now. <laughs> Dismayland is kind of Dismayland huh? is or whatever. Yeah, Dismayland. Yeah, yeah, that's in your orbit, isn't that kind of yeah. idea of? A... But I think we were more positive. You know, we weren't. It wasn't about all doom and gloom. It was much more like, look, we can live off shit. In some ways, you know, I was talking to Alex the wreckage, and he was going like, you know, dystopia, bring it on, because I want to, yeah. you know. And we did. You know, our showers were made from showers we found in the scrap heap with pumps that we found in the scrap being adapted and. And everything, our sink was something we'd, you know, everything we lived off. Yeah. Found. So we were, li- we were living the kind of, um, the art that we were doing as well. You know, it wasn't just building sculptures out of scrap, building cars out of scrap, motorbikes, practical things, you know. Mm. And, and we lived it and that's what we did. Have you lived most of your life 
hand to mouth, like in terms of money and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely, and that's the bad side. <laughs> There's no, no real money in it, and it's funny because like every year I think, oh yeah, this year would be better, and uh, it never is. And like uh, the last supper, because it was it was in the um, science museum, not last year, year before, mm. you know, and I thought that's big time, really. <laughs> and uh, this year, never been so skinned, really. And it's been like that every year. I was saying to Fran, my wife, it's, it's like uh, her birthday this time of year, in March. And every year, so we never have any money to do anything. How I, did you I, meet her? She's a blacksmith. I used to have a workshop, same railway arch in King's Cross. Mutual Waste, there's another crew called DNTT. They're more performancey than us, but they still sort of made their props out of scrap and stuff. And they were sort of a bit more European. They're Germans in there and couple of French and she was with them and so when the, when the two tribes came together as it were we met through that and you've been you've been together a long time yeah yeah over 20 years yeah and then you adopted a kid did you we had a kid mm. called Swanee who's now 20 really 21 this year and then we adopted another boy called Jack who's now and what's Swanee doing he's doing graphic design in Manchester uni. Right. and what does he think of you uh, it's funny because he was really uninterested you know, he was always around them because we always sort of were working at Glastonbury and stuff like that. But he wasn't particularly interested. But uh, now he's realising more and more yeah. what it was about and interests him more. I think. Yeah. Amazing. When you when you have this kind of, as you say, I, you look forward maybe in January to this year's going to be great. Like, like <laughs> you know, it fucking isn't. Does it ever get you down, or do you just? Uh, you have a very kind of positive demeanour about you. Like I'm, you um, I'm optimistic, you. so yeah. I always think there's something around the corner. So it does. It gets me down on a sort of daily, sometimes on a daily basis, where it's just a constant fucking trying to meet ends, make ends meet. Yeah. You know, and and also the more you have, like you know, when you're living in a caravan, you don't have many expenses. You know, or when you're living on the road or whatever. You know, once you're living in a house with kids and, so, and constant, and also a workshop. There's bills coming in and you just can't meet them. That's that's the, the stress gets me down. But actually, I always, you know, things do always come, come all right. You know, it's just your elastic band stretches further and further yeah, each time, and just like, boing. Anyway, yeah. It's so as someone who's fucking middle class Ireland. You just go like, like it's almost like my fucking parents would kill me if I did that kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't, you know. There's something beautifully free about it, though, as well. There is, yeah, you know? and, and and I wouldn't have it any other way, you yeah. know, really. And I think if um if I put my clogs tomorrow, you know, I'd have You've lived. great innings, really. Yeah, I wouldn't regret any of it. It's just the skin bit's tiresome. When you're skin, you're not as free as you as you, as it, it seems. You're free because you've got time, but you haven't got any money to do anything with it. So it's kind of it's not all rosy. But um, yeah, I've, you know, you make do. Yeah. What would you say to the younger you who was leaving college looking back like if you go up to him now and say what would you say just fucking keep going or yeah do exactly the same do exactly the same yeah. no regrets no no and the future I, th- I can't you know what, I can't... What, what would happen if someone said here's 110 grand for for the last supper I imagine like suddenly hitting pay dirt might fuck you up as well do you know what I mean like no because I think that's that's one thing that um you're swinging the way, the way money always came you know, initially was it came in big lumps and you spent it yeah. really quickly or yeah. paid off all your debts or one thing but it all came it never hung around it came and went came and went and it's still a bit like that because as soon as it comes in it always has to be go out straight away to stuff that oh anyway and if you have a little bit extra then yeah you spend it because you need you know you need to feel that feel that feeling 
But I think 110 grand, I think I'd be more sensible with that. I mean, I think, you know, one, one of the things that is not good is having overheads. And be, I'd love to get um, like my own, own place, my own workshop. And, uh, Do you get, like, hassle from landlords just fucking threatening to kick you out and all that shit? Not now, but this workshop's vulnerable and we've been here like 20 years and it's kind of suddenly it's That's you, the realize, selling them off yeah suddenly you realise that there's there's nothing affordable around it's amazing it's amazing you know we, we, I started looking for equivalent of this and you suddenly get sort of right on the outskirts of London and you still can't afford Zone it. six yeah so then you sort of start, master is. <laughs> start thinking it's time to leave London you know and that's a, that's something that I've picked up with a lot of because I have interviewed Dot Master yeah. and Carrie yeah. and thing, and, and like Dot Master is literally out with my sister in Zone Six. Um, yeah. This idea that London has the gentrification of London and it just not looking after its artists, like you look at yeah. the art grants and stuff like that, that should be supporting you. That yeah. oh no, you're too much of you. You don't fit the fucking yeah. government idea of an artist. Yeah. Well, funny enough, wrong. Good. Because <laughs> you know, I was working with this artist. Uh, no, the gentrification bit's right. Yeah. I've been working with this artist called um, Tim Shaw, who um, is a brilliant sculptor, really good. And he wanted to make this moving piece, so I was working with him. And uh, he's an RA, Royal Academician. Yeah. And uh, through him, I met another this old sculpture sculptor called Michael Sandal. He's about eighty-five, I think. Who's an RA as well. And the way they put my name in the book for a Royal Academician. And so it's going through the process now, so you never know. Yeah. Might be accepted. And that, that's the stipend you get then, isn't it? You don't get anything at all, except but you end up running the Royal Academy. So you become part, you get sucked in as part of the establishment. <laughs> which <laughs> would be, which is funny. Cause no, then, you, you, get it, you can change it from the inside. Well, also then, you know, because then you get to choose other people coming in. Yeah. And maybe, you know, get a couple of mutoids in, in, in the Royal, running the Royal Academy will be quite a turn up for the books. It's just weird. It's up and down, isn't it? Like last year, I had two commi- quite big commissions, and um, the, my pole dancers went viral in January last year. Okay, so explain that one. Uh, so I got these these sort of robotic, I guess, robotic pole dancers with these CCTV heads, and they were sort of built about ten years ago or something. Built as a kind of observation of Britain becoming the most surveyed country in in the world. So sort of play with the idea of voyeurism and, and power. Anyway, so I've shown them in galleries endlessly. But every now and again they get a gig where they go out to some corporate party and they're just literally robotic strippers sort of thing. And I had this gig in Las Vegas in the um, biggest pole dancing club in the world. Yeah. And that one, since they were there, they, that? Went, that sounds like they went viral, went mental, like all around the world, just journalists from China, India, everywhere finding up. Anyway, so they went viral and since then had some good commissions. So one was a yeah, a ch- for a Chilean stand-up comedian. He wanted a, this female robot he could talk to and answer, so that was good. And then the other one was for a, a sex bot for this porn site. I should not say what it's called. But yeah, and I said no, you know, because I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to get dragged into that. But he, that grubby area. <laughs> he kept on, kept on up in the money, and I tell you, I've never, you know, I've never been paid so well for a job, and it's, that is where the money is. Is yeah. important. So yeah, I did it in the end, thinking it would pay, pay for my <laughs> next, pay for my next show. Exactly. Normally, you're sort of building the robots on quite a tight budget, but this, they had so much money, and they threw it that I was actually able to experiment with new techniques and everything like that. So it was a good earner and a good learner for me as well. Let me just talk a little bit about the thing we briefly touched on this AI thing and where it's going right 
when I started looking at your work, I was actually thinking this was a commentary on the future, which you've kind of damped down a bit. But to me, when you when you talk about what it was, just just on that, the the bits you've picked out aren't about that particularly. But the the, the sort of single figures I do, like I've done a sort of homeless one and the pole dancers and a couple of prostitutes and stuff like that. They are commentary on the future in the okay. sense that technology leaves this trajectory, doesn't it? In its and in its wake. And it moves so fast that, you know, before something's hit, it's just as something's, you know, something lasts about a blip, doesn't it? And then it's on the scrappy yeah. and the next one's coming along. And so, like, this overall picture I have in my head is all these kind of robots knocking about, no longer needed. They're sort of redundant. You so know, that's sort of Wally kind of thing. Yeah, and so it's that kind of picture. I quite like this kind of yeah. idea of all these. And because I build them out of scrap, that's what they are, you know. Yeah. And especially as sort of things like cars and stuff. They have become robots. You know, when I first started using scrap from cars, it was very basic windscreen wiper. But now you get sensors. You, you know, they, mm. you can get all the bits you want. So in some ways, yeah, it's, I am taking stuff from the scrap heap and kind of humanising it, I guess. Yeah. And there is a comment on the fact that technology is chipping over itself and chucking chucking it away before it even knows. I mean, do you, are you, do you think you you kind of poo pooed it? I think when we talked earlier. But do you think we are going to get to this point where we're going to start merging with machines? We already are. So medically, in some ways, aren't we? Yeah. But I think with the um, the sort of droids, the sort of humanoid robots, were much further behind than they'd like you to think. And it's it's quite funny. Like for the science museum robot exhibition, I had to do a replica of the first ever humanoid robot to come to England, which well built in England, which is about nineteen thirty or something. And they they have this robot that stood up in front of this crowd, gave a speech, could answer questions from the crowd. You know, it's all guys. That was it. Yeah, the they're still fucking doing it now, but yeah, just a bit more sophisticated. You know, when they, I can't remember what that robot was Sophia. Yeah. When when she did that talk on television to all those sponsors, mm. she made out she could joke, Interact, and, yeah. and it was all fucking scripted. It was obvious. You know, I was yeah. sitting watching it with these these two AI. Yeah. geeks you know yeah. who do do AI and they were just going yeah that's scripted you know, you can... and it yeah. was all scripted so they're doing exactly the same thing because they're desperate for money you know they want people to keep backing it mm. thinking they're going to hit the great mm. you know the, the robot you could shag the robot you, could, yeah. you know will do your wash you know they're desperate for the cash so they make it sound like they're just on the brink but they're not yeah. they're still putting the same tricks as they were in the 1930s that's on the humanoid side of things I think on the AI side sort of, as in some machines I think yeah we're already merging with them really and, and that's where it'll go you know, they're building robots now that will survive a long time after human beings. Yeah. Things like Westworld. Yeah, I do you like that? I did like that. I did as well, yeah. I thought it was clever. It was very disturbing, though, because, yeah. because of the fact that it draws out man's basest. Yeah. You know, I'm going to fuck and kill, basically. Well, that, there's, you had that on one side, and then you had on the other side, like, what is it that makes them makes us human and, uh, and uh, you know what is, what's it called the um, Turing test is it yeah the Turing yeah. test and also yeah. there's the is, there's something like the value of the uncanny or something which right. is which is something like when a robot becomes so human it's uncanny I think is, yeah. is, is what right. it is okay. we change our behaviour towards it or something right. like that okay. you know so the disturbing thing about sort of Westworld to me is like I could actually imagine a situation where people would go to a a theme park and you may not know I mean it was full of holes I thought I mean yeah. it was like you know yeah. how do you know which one to shoot and yeah, how do you yeah. not get damaged yeah. yourself and yeah. why can't someone stab you with a knife yeah. Yeah. there was lots of issues with it but it was really deeply contemplative yeah but it's got some great bits in there yeah. yeah and then there's also the ethical issue of 
you know, robots. There was, there's a great line, which is if you ask a robot to, um, or you ask a computer to make a, a cherry, yeah. right? Yeah. And a robot will go through every option available to yeah. make a cherry, yeah. including blowing up the world. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, right, okay. so, there, so there's a whole list of possible ways yeah. of making a cherry, yeah. including yeah. what happens if I blow up the entire planet. It's a bit like what you were saying about the, the truth thing and the post-truth argument, where, where it's going unchecked, right? So there could be yeah. an Ozymandias version of you up in Greenland who's building a fucking yeah. army yeah. that's just going to try for world domination and yeah. no one's going to kind of cop them. I mean, do you... Well, no, but they are. I mean, you know, the, the, that's strong. All the money that's going into robots is either from the sex industry, medical industry, or the war. war. Mm. You know, cause that's where all the money is and that's... I was talking to someone recently about the fact that I, for the first time in my life, I'm kind of glad I have a sell by date do you know what I mean I, I don't I, I feel, how do you view the future like you've got a young kid who's 20 yeah. and another one is younger like, sounds so it's, you know we thought it was complicated being a kid imagine what, how complicated it is now are you pessimistic yeah. about the future uh, like deep future 20, 30, 40, when we're gone climate etc pessimistic I think without thinking about the catastrophe and all that it's, that's not what gets me I think when it ends it ends because it's going to end anyway what gets me is the blandness that's seeping in well not seeping in it's gushing in this sort of blandness where everything gets covered in this sort of blanket of shite beige yeah it's just and I was in Westfield shopping centre the other day because Jack wanted us to go and play crazy golf for his birthday <laughs> that is a sign of the future yeah. the bland the ah, the lighting the, the shop fronts the everyone walking around in a daze with their shopping bags yeah. it's just that's the terrifying bit it's before the catastrophe comes how far is it going to go down that road where no one really gets any enjoyment out of, any, out of anything natural in many ways we're robots consumers but the positive nature of that is I think there's always going to be a crew of people that can take the piss out of it can fight against it can you know won't toe the line you'd hope I mean in the 1930s 1950s you know life was pretty bland then in a funny kind of yeah. way you know what yeah. I mean but there there's no always no good old days were there really no there's always a crew who kind of saw the saw their way through it and laughed at it and... <laughs> right yes. it was great talking to you mate um, to you too. I will be uh, pledging myself 200 uh, of your finest English pounds to oh, your monster mate, thing thank you today very much. thank you very much and I would ask anybody else to follow the link at the bottom because it's guys like Giles who we need around and we need to make them feed them and make yeah. sure that they can make their art play us out with one of your songs and tell us what it's about okay this one's going to be called uh i to remember a song this one is called stop that misbehavior and it's uh it's a song about neighborhood watch and the band watching is... you watching us watching you the band is the band's called ruby throat and uh we are online somewhere but you have to do you remember that woman from daisy chainsaw anyway they were quite big and the 80s or 90s and she started her band called um, she's called it Ruby Throat as well which is a shame because she's a lot more prolific on the internet than we are and uh, so she, not the female so it's Ruby. not the it's not the female folk singer it's uh, the injury Ruby Throat thanks yeah. for being on the show thank you very much Sean great
Oh. 